We're going to read Romans chapter number 10, verses 13 through 15 one more time. We already read it once today, but we'll read it again. My message today is very unique. I've never preached a message like this before, and so I hope that it's an encouragement to you. I've never preached a missions conference before, and so I'm excited about the message the Lord gave me, and I hope it's an encouragement to you today. Romans chapter number 10, look at verse 13 with me. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's read that together. Ready, begin. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord How many believe that today? Amen. Amen. Let's read verse 14. Let's read it together. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Listen to verse 15 as I read. By the way, I know we have a lot of kids in here. It's okay. Let them cry. Let them scream. Let them giggle. Uh, Don't worry about that. I'm glad you're in here today. And all God's people said, I want you moms to know that. We want your kids in here. It's all right. We we don't need to have some kind of weird, perfect thing going on here. Amen? (laughs) All right. Verse 15. And how shall they preach except they be what? Sent. That's what missions conference is all about. How will they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. There are 7.8 billion people in the world today. At least 2.8 billion of them have never heard the gospel. 2.8 billion people. In an effort to unify our church around the vision of missions, I beg you to listen to this message with an expectation that God must speak to our hearts today. If what we believe about the Bible and what we believe about the gospel is true, then 2.8 billion people and countless others that we do not know about will spend eternity in a place called hell. If that is true, then there can only be one of two possibilities. Either we decide to make a definite, deliberate for the gospel, or we bury our heads in the sand and do our best not to think about those who are dying without Christ. We go our separate, way, our separate lives and pretend like they don't exist, caring only about ourselves and our family. My question to Central Valley Baptist Church today is a question I ask myself. Which of these two realities do I live in? Which reality will you choose to live in? You and I have heard this passage preached many times. I know these scriptures backwards and forwards, and so do you this morning. We understand them doctrinally. We are not confused about salvation, at least the majority of us today. I've heard the gospel so put it in our sleep, and so I don't believe I'm going to expound on these verses doctrinally today. I just want to ask a question. It's the same question that Paul asks, and it's a question we must answer. How will they hear? With 2.8 billion people in the world that have never heard the gospel, not even one time, and while we could quote the gospel backwards and forwards, the default uh, should obviously be that Christians move towards them that are without. But largely we are not. The question remains, how will they hear? The way that I see it, and if I'm wrong, please forgive me, But either we move to them and go tell them, or we sacrifice heavily so that others can go in our place. Let me read that again. 
Either we move to them and go tell them, or we sacrifice heavily so that others can go in our place. So today, I'm going to preach something very different. I'm not going to preach this passage. Instead, I'm going to use an illustration, the whole message. It'll be the story of one of the greatest missionaries who's ever lived. A man that recognized through many trials that the mission remained. Father, we come before you one more time before the message. And Lord, yes, there's a lot of distractions and that's okay. And Lord, today uh, is not about entertainment. It's not about how big or small our church is. It's not about anything other than you. So Lord, I pray that in this message, somebody's heart would be stirred. Maybe one young man, one young man will decide to give his life to you. Maybe one young lady, maybe a married couple who've, are, who are well established. They have everything they need, but their heart would be moved to either go to the mission field or to sacrifice for those who are. Lord, move my heart today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The crowd commissioned a young man named Adoniram Judson and his wife Anne to the gospel ministry. It was hardly a month earlier that Adoniram met his bride and proposed to her. In his proposal, he asked her if she wanted to be married to a missionary, and she responded like any good Baptist Christian woman would. She said, ask my dad. (laughs) And so he did. He sat down and wrote her father a proposal letter. Listen to this letter that this young man wrote to his hopeful future father-in-law. Deacon Hasseltine, he writes, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring. To see her no more, this world, whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to hardship and suffering of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want, distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all... Can you imagine writing this to your future father-in-law? Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to this and hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory? With a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior, from heathen saved through her means, from eternal woe and despair? Question mark. How about that as a letter to your future father-in-law? One of Hasseltine's friends commented, I would rather I would rather tie my own daughter to the bedpost before I let her go on such a harebrained adventure, he said. The reluctant father left the decision up to his daughter to deny or accept the proposal and said yes. Shortly after their marriage, they were sailing on a 114-day trip to India. Picture that, 114 days at sea. How many are glad for airplanes, amen? That's almost a half a year. Their plans were to arrive in India with the plans to eventually go on to Burma. While on this long voyage, Adoniram was studying the scriptures and translating the Greek New Testament into English. It was during this translation he became especially interested in the word baptism. 
You see, Judson was a congregationalist. He was a congregationalist missionary. And as a congregationalist, he was baptized as a baby. And now he realized, listen to this, that infant baptism wasn't biblical. He realized that baptism is for believers only by immersion, not sprinkling. So he said to his new bride and quite frankly surprised her. He said, Ann, I'm afraid the Baptists may be right. (laughs) He now had his first problem. It was the Congregationalists who sent him, and they sent him to do missionary work, the Congregationalist way. And now he didn't agree with that way. So upon arrival in India, he sought out to meet with another well-known, you know him, Baptist missionary named William Carey. And he and his wife were baptized biblically as believers. With this new development, he began to write letters back home. Anybody else struggling with this smoke? It's killing me. (laughs) His first letter to the Congregationalists informing them that their first American missionary was now a Baptist. And to the Baptist, he wrote, surprise, you have a new Baptist missionary to Burma. They met up with another missionary who was getting ready to come off the field. His name was Luther Rice, who would eventually go back to the U.S. and help the Judsons raise support by starting the first Baptist mission sending agency in 1814. You want to know what the agency was called? The General Missions Conference of Baptist Denomination of United States for Foreign Missions. Or if you like acronyms, the GMCBDUSFM. (laughs) Meanwhile, the Judsons had another problem. Everyone they knew was vehemently against them going to Burma, including missionaries in India, churches in the United States, even William Carey instructed them not to go. It was a suicide mission, they said. Every missionary who went there had either died or left unsuccessful. Burma wasn't just a hard country. It wasn't just a closed country. It was an extremely dangerous country. Against everyone's advice, the couple set sail for Rangoon, Burma. Ann Judson, Adoniram's wife, wrote this in her diary. The Burmese are entirely destitute of those consolations and joys which constitute our happiness. Why should we be unwilling to part with a few fleeting comforts for the sake of making them shares with us in joys as endurable as, as eternity? On the journey, the couple would soon suffer their first of many heartbreaks. Anne was with child. She carried the baby with expectation and joy, but was devastated when it was stillborn. Adoniram buried his first child at sea. They showed up uh, in Rangoon to a rough and rowdy crowd. Leprous beggars were on the shore as they pulled up. They saw multitudes of Buddhist temples and naked children smoking cigars. Now on the mission field, they began to settle into a new life. A few years went by, they had another child named Roger. He was quite popular in the village, being the first white baby that any of the villagers had ever seen. Roger was their pride and joy. He loved, they loved being parents and certainly loved this baby with all their heart. For six months, he was healthy, but soon Roger started coughing and became worse with time. Around 2 a.m. one morning, Adoniram was doing his best to comfort the child who had begun one of his coughing fits soon. He was able to lull the child to sleep. The exhausted father laid his son in his bed for the last time. Not several minutes later, the boy perished. The next day, Adoniram had to dig a grave for his second child. Ann Judson wrote this. She said, our hearts were bound up in this child. 
We, left, uh, we felt he was our earthly all, our only source of innocent recreation in this heathen land. The couple, childless again, threw themselves into the ministry. After several years of working with the Burmese people, <clears throat> they decided that the best course of action was to start a church for the people there. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So in that country, uh, a place where people would go to worship was called the Zayat. It was nothing more usually than just a hut or some sort of structure to shade from the sun. And, but on April the 4th, 1819, the first Baptist church of Rangoon was planted in a Zayat on the side of the road. It was nothing more than a small shelter. Their first Sunday, they had about 10 Burmese adults and a bunch of naked kids smoking cigars. <laughs> Six long years after landing in Rangoon, they saw their first convert baptized. Six years. The next year, they were working with about 10 Burmese converts in their church. As soon as they began to build momentum, Adoniram's wife, Anne, became violently sick. He was forced to send his wife back to America to be treated. And so they made provisions and preparations, and they sent her on the long journey home. For two long years, Adoniram was forced to do missionary work himself in a strange land. During this time, away from his dear wife, he never lost sight that the mission remained and continued attempting to win the Burmese people to Christ. During this time alone, he was able to finish translating the New Testament into the Burmese language. Thankfully, by God's grace, Anne was able to recover in America. She also traveled around the country, raising support for their family, and she returned to her husband. During this time, England invaded Burma, and now all foreigners in the country were considered spies by the Burmese government. Late one evening, a dozen or more soldiers burst into the Judson household, demanding where the teacher was. Adoniram stood forward and said, here am I. They wrestled him to the floor, bound him by the hands and feet, and despite the cries of his desperate wife clinging to him, he was dragged to prison. They took him to a place called Let Me Yoon, which interpreted as let not your hand wither or don't wither away. It was also called the death prison. For 11 months, he was fastened with three fetters. For three months, he was fastened with five fetters. He was placed in a windowless room, 30 feet by 40 feet, with 50 other prisoners on the floor. Some of them were expats from other countries and missionaries and diplomats, but he knew some of these men. That night, the soldiers lowered long, horizontal bamboo poles from the ceiling. They fastened the prisoners' feet to the poles, and then they would raise the poles up, lifting the legs of the men off the ground, and they would sleep with their feet in the air. Not just that night, but every night. And immediately his wife began working night and day to get her husband released from prison. She could not secure his freedom through any legal channels, so she gave bribes to the soldiers to allow her to have just five-minute visits with her husband. Upon her first visit, her husband crawled out of his cell. She could barely recognize him. His body was withered. His eyes sunk deep into his skull from the lack of nutrition and sunlight. She would bring him tea and rice whenever she could to help stave off his hunger and keep him from getting sick. It was on one of these visits that Anne finally had enough heart to break him the news that she was with child again. While Adoniram laid in prison, his third child, Maria, was born. 
One historian wrote of this prison, he said, His sufferings from fever, excruciating heat, hunger, repeated disappointments, and the cruelty of keepers is one of the most challenging narratives in the history of missions. On one occasion, pitifully weak and emaciated, he was driven in chains across the burning tropical sands until his back lacerated and his feet covered with blisters. He fell to the ground and prayed for a speedy death. For almost two years, he was incarcerated in a prison too vile vile to house animals. No one, he goes on, no one who had known the prisoners when they entered could have possibly recognized them when they left. Their hair was mattered, eyes hollow, bodies skin-colored skeletons. Their clothes were rags. They could scarcely hobble. Judson was transferred to another prison about 10 miles into a remote village known to be the place where prisoners were sent to die. Anne moved her location to a house closer to the prison to try to help encourage her husband and keep him alive. During that time, though, Anne and Maria both became very ill once again. She became so sick she was unable to nurse her daughter. Adoniram received special permission from the prison officials to go out every night under guard and beg the women of the village to nurse his daughter for them so that she could survive. By God's grace, Anna Maria lived. They recovered. And by God's grace, a miracle happened. The Burmese government decided they needed a translator to work with the English government, and so they hired Adoniram to be a translator, and this led one day to his full freedom. After suffering so much, for the first time, the family of three was together. They were able to make a fresh start. They moved to Amherst, a city in southern Burma, and for the first time, the family of three was together. They were able to uh, begin life in somewhat of a normal fashion. They settled into a new home, but soon Adoniram had to travel across the sea to the Burmese embassy to work as a translator in hopes of starting his mission work again. Anne wrote to him, I finally feel myself at home. When I ask little Maria where Papa is, she always starts up and points at the sea. Pray to take care of yourself. May God preserve and bless you and restore you safely to your home. This is the prayer of your affectionate wife, Anne. Things were looking up, but Adoniram began to worry when Anne's letters stopped coming. He began wondering if something was wrong. He was very worried after he had received word that his daughter was ill again. Then the day came. A man brought him a letter sealed in black. And while handing the envelope to Mr. Judson, the man said, I'm sorry to inform you of the death of your child. His heart sank. Distressed and in shock, he found a place to read the letter alone. He longed to be with his wife, to hold her, to comfort her in the loss of their third child. He sat down, opened the letter and began to read something that stunned him silent. The letter read, My dear sir, exemplary fortitude. There needs to be little preface to tell a tale of distress. It would be cruel indeed to torture you with doubt doubt and suspense, to sum up the unhappy tidings in a few words. Mrs. Judson is no more. His jaw dropped. He couldn't move. He read it over and over again, unable to believe the words before him. As he read on, he realized it wasn't his wife that was sick, but his wife who had a violent fever and Anne had never fully recovered. Adoniram broke when he realized that his wife had been buried a month before he even knew she was dead. 
The only thing that brought vigor to him was the thought of getting back to Amherst to make sure that his daughter was still alive. And so he got his things together and got a ship ready as quickly as he could. And it took some time, but he was able to get back pretty quickly. And, but it was only four days later after he returned that his daughter, too, would join Anne in heaven. Mr. Judson wrote in his diary, I am left alone in the wide world. My own dear family have I buried. Amazingly, with unworldly fortitude, he resumed his work, preaching and translating, but he couldn't escape the growing sense of despair in his soul. He gradually began to seclude himself from society. He sunk into a deep depression. And may I just take a moment here, a break, and say that once in a while, it's okay to get a little bit sad once in a while. Everybody goes through those things, but God is still on the throne. At one point, he dug an empty grave and he sat by it every day. He struggled with the trials that he had been through. During this time, he wrote, God to me is the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. But by God's grace, over many months, God met Judson where he was. And thank God that he meets us where we are. And he slowly restored his faith. He remarried a widow of another Burmese missionary named Sarah Boardman. He said to her in a letter after her husband had passed, he encouraged her to continue the work of her husband in Burma. He said, you, know, you are now drinking the bitter cup whose dregs I am somewhat acquainted with. I venture to say it is far bitter than anyone expected. While therefore your tears flow, let, it, let a due proportion of tears be joy. Yet take the bitter cup and with both hands and sit down to your repast. You will soon learn a secret that there is sweetness at the bottom. Eight years later, it dawned on Judson. Wait a minute. Here's a single missionary woman and I'm a single missionary. Why don't we get this thing together? So not one for long engagements. Mr. Judson, Mr. Judson would make a short process of the dating arrangement just one month after she showed interest in a letter, he left on April the 2nd, arrived on April the 6th, and they were married on April the 10th. Now together, they threw themselves into ministry. The Lord gave the Judsons eight children. Six of them survived this hostile environment. Adoniram and Sarah both had a renewed vision and spirit for the mission, and they began to see God's blessing in a big way. In nine years... Judson was only able to baptize 18 converts, but now in 1831, they saw 217 people baptized. The next year, 126 more. Judson recommitted himself to finishing the, Mur the Burmese Bible, and now after many years, it was complete. Adoniram and Sarah were happily married in the work together for 11 years. And then in 1845, Sarah became sick with dysentery. They made plans to send her back to America to recover, but she did not make it. She died in Adoniram's arms at the age of 42 during the journey. Mrs. Judson was buried on the mission field, and Judson had buried his second wife. I said, but the mission remained, and Adoniram, with the care of six children, remained faithful to serve the Burmese people. A few years later, he would marry for the third time a woman who he had met named Emily Chubbuck. She was a writer in America. 
He met her because he wanted to commission her to write the memoirs, the biography of the works that his wife had done in Burma. And so on June 1st, 1846, he uh, married this lady. And by God's grace, they had another child. Four short years later, Adoniram became sick. They made plans for him to sail to America to recover, but it became clear he would not weather the journey. As he lay on his deathbed, he said this, I feel as if I were only just beginning to be prepared for usefulness. Emily sent him off in hopes of recovery, but within days of the journey, on the 11th of April, 1850, after four decades of active ministry, Judson breathed his last breath. The ship's carpenter made a coffin. Sand was placed inside, and it was slowly sank into the sea. This was the last time on earth anyone would see the man who once prayed, One prayer, my God, thy will be done. Only one boon I crave, to finish well my work and to rest within a Burma grave. When Judson began his, missionary, his mission work in Burma, he set a goal of translating the Bible and founding a church of a hundred members before his death. By the time of his death, he had completed translating the entire Bible into the Burmese language and half a completed Burmese to English dictionary. He did not have a hundred members in his church, but he had a hundred churches that he left behind with over 8,000 members. Studies have been done long after his death that over 200 plus thousand Christians were noted in Myanmar, Burma. In large part due to his influence, this country was the third, at one point was the third largest, numbers of, largest number of Baptists worldwide behind the United States and India. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Central Valley Baptist Church, the mission remains and the question remains. How will they hear if we do not preach to them? If those who God calls to a foreign field do not surrender, how will they hear? I don't believe for one second that God has not called people in this room to the mission field. I do not believe for one second that God has not called many to the mission field and they have said no. And the question remains, how will they hear? If those who God does not call to the foreign mission field, and by the way, you better have a good reason not to go to the mission field. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. How will they hear if those who God does not call, does not sacrifice heavily to send those who have? Romans 10 is not a rhetorical question. How will God's plan of redemption Move forward in the world today if Christians like us who have plenty will not sacrifice. And may I say, it's a privilege to sacrifice for the mission field. I said it's a privilege to sacrifice for the mission field. It starts with someone sending a church like this. They send one that must go and preach. The one who hears the preaching must believe and the one who believes will be saved but it starts with someone sending. My prayer this morning in this message is that the Lord might move our hearts to the mission field. For many of us, we cannot go, and we have reasons why we can't. 
And I understand. But may God move our hearts to the mission field. And may we recognize as we look at these flags around us today, may we recognize that there are 2.8 billion people dying without Christ. Not just in Manteca, but the mission remains around the world. And may I say, the mission remains in Manteca and in Stockton. Somebody say amen. Amen. The mission remains in Ripon, in Salida, and in Tracy, and in Mountain House. The mission remains around us. There's over a million people within 20 minutes of this church. The mission remains. May I just say today that missions is not a secondary thing. It's the main thing. Forgive me if I've disappointed you today, but our church is not about entertainment. We're not building an amusement park here where people can bring their families and have a good time. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to send out missionaries and to send out people in our community to win others for the lost. Win others for Christ, I'm sorry. When Ann Judson was in the United States, after she sailed there to recover from her sickness, she wrote these words. Here's what she said. And this is after traveling around to Baptist churches trying to raise support. Our missionaries know what that's like (laughs) that are here today. She said this, every Christian in the U.S. should feel as deeply impressed with the importance of making continual efforts to the salvation of the heathen as though their conversion depended solely upon himself. Christians should live like people have never heard the gospel and should hear and should not hear without us because in a very real sense, it does. She said later, oh, that all the members of the Baptist Convention could live in Rangoon one month. Will the Christian world wake up? Oh, Lord, send help. Our waiting eyes are unto thee. So the mission remains today. I don't mean to start our conference off on any kind of a low note. But I believe that this morning the Lord put on my heart as we've suffered loss as a church this week. As our state burns around us. As, as, as the government closes in and tries to close churches down and we all suffer uh, individual problems and while we all go through these things, the mission remains. Yeah. I said the mission remains. Amen. While our petty issues keep us from souls that need to be saved, the mission remains. Churches are divided and arguing over the stupidest things. The mission remains. Yeah. We get all worked up over different things. And may I just say, I, listen, I know there's things worth fighting for. And I know there are things worth standing for. But there's a lot of things that we should put aside because the mission remains. While we buy bigger televisions and subscribe to more entertainment and spend hundreds of dollars a month for our Amazon and hundreds of dollars a month for Netflix and for this app and for that app and for Comcast and all of these things that we do, remind yourself this morning that the mission remains. There are people around the world today that need the gospel. So my question to you is today, why not you? Why not me? Why does God not send me to the mission field while people die around us? And others become sick. The mission remains. While churches are pressured to close and we're threatened with jails, the mission remains. Ladies and gentlemen, my prayer today is not to coerce you into service. It is not to guilt you into giving. But simply to remind you and myself 
that no matter what happens, the mission remains. So, what is your vision for missions today? What is your vision for missions today? Would you open your heart to the mission field today? I know some will not. I understand. As Adoniram Judson preached across America at one point, he was very disappointed in the churches he was in. And I know some will not open their hearts to missions, but will you today? And will I? May we pray and ask the Lord in a fresh way, God, do you want me? God, do you want me? Maybe today you could sacrifice and say, Lord, I I know I can't go, but may I sacrifice for missions like I never have. How many of you would agree with me today that the time is short? Come on, raise your hand. We all know the time is short. My missionary brothers today, you men know you're traveling the country. You see the condition of our churches. We don't know how long we'll be able to send missionaries. But may Central Valley Baptist Church, while we can, sacrifice for missions.